You guys catch me off guard every year with that pastor appreciation thing, and it just, it blows me away. It is um, such a privilege to be able to pastor this church family. And uh, I'm greatly encouraged by the fact that in the Bible, God used a talking donkey. You know, it makes me feel like there's, maybe he can use me too. I'm very thankful for that. Well, you guys are, are a wonderful family of friends. So um, you might not think of it this way, but the world of professional sports is an industry. It is big business. Most people don't think of it like that. In 2021, the global sports industry is expected to rake in more than $440 billion. That's big. Sports team, it's more than just a, a ball club. It's a, it's a business. And it is, on top of that, it's like uh, the owners, they have a brand that they have to manage. They have to promote their brand. They have to manage their brand, no matter what club that is. And part of that usually means having a mascot. And a lot of mascots you see out there are animals. They want the mascot to represent the strength and the tenacity of the team. And so they pick a mascot. A lot of them are animals, like here in Chicago, we have the Chicago Bulls. I think that's a, a good mascot. It um, makes you think of like strength and determination. I'm starting to think maybe it should be the Chicago Bullets with all the gun violence we got going on, but that might not be too popular. The Chicago Bullets. <laughs> but they're the Chicago Bulls, and then of course we have the Bears. They're, bears are powerful creatures. Look at, the, look at the teeth on that thing. You know, they make a good mascot, but what if they were instead maybe the Chicago sheep? <laughs> How would you feel about that? Would you be proud of that? Yeah, man, go sheep, go sheep. <laughs> I think the Packers would probably like that. <laughs> They're going to go shear to sheep again this Sunday. But sheep, I couldn't find anyone that uses a sheep as a mascot. The closest you'll come is rams, but rams have big horns and like they, they have a, a, a defensive mechanism. Sheep don't. You don't ever hear of like a guard sheep or a guide sheep. You don't see signs that say beware of sheep. I haven't, I've never heard of like McFluff, the crime sheep, or anything like that. You just don't. And it's not just a perception problem, it's the nature of sheep. It's their, it's their nature. Sheep may be gentle, but they're not very smart, in all honesty, and they have no natural defense mechanism, like we talked about. They easily wander off, and they'll follow each other right off a cliff. It's just their tendency. So uh, in his book, um, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, Philip Keller, I love this little book, he wrote this. He said, the behavior of sheep and human beings is similar in many ways. Our mass mind or mob instincts, our fears and timidity, our stubbornness and stupidity, our perverse habits are all parallels of profound importance. And so he says, it's no accident that God has chosen to call us sheep. Well, here we go with another really encouraging message for you this morning. I don't write it, I'm just teaching it. So this morning, the message title is Shepherding the Flock. And we're gonna be looking at 1 Peter chapter five. We'll, we're covering verses one through four. It's a short text, and I broke it into two parts. And the first is gonna be, I need to hit the button again. The first part is gonna be the nature of sheep in verses one and part of verse two. And then we're gonna look at the nurture of sheep in verses two through four. So again, it's a really short passage. I wanna read through it first and then uh, we'll work our way through it and do our best to apply it. So let's read through 1 Peter chapter five, verses one through four. It says, to the elders among you, I appeal to you as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. 
Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. This is God's word to us this morning. Let's, let's dig into it. Starting first with the nature of sheep. The, the first portion, or this portion of the letter, or text, it begins with, to the elders among you. It was written specifically to the elders, the leaders of this church. But it wasn't intended just for the leaders to read. It was for the whole church to read. And although it's addressed to the elders, it's written to every one of us as well. Why should you care about these instructions to the elders if you're not an elder? Does it really matter? It does. It's important because everyone then knows what's expected of your leaders. There's accountability in that. And so not only that, the standards that are given for elders apply to every follower of Christ. And so, Lord willing, we have future elders in our assembly this morning and in our student ministry fusion and even in our Sunday school. Think about that. I hope we have future elders in our Sunday school classes this morning. So it's addressed to the elders, but it's written to all of us. And Peter writes, I appeal to you as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering. And I just want to point out the humility of Peter here. He he was more than just an elder. He was a disciple. And more than that, he was one of Jesus' three closest friends. He was there um, to see the Lord firsthand. He was there at his trial. He was probably at the crucifixion. He witnessed the resurrection of the Lord, the resurrected Lord. He saw his ascension into heaven. He was sent out as an apostle. And, and by this time in history, Peter was probably one of the few surviving apostles. He would have been a rock star. He would have been a superstar amongst the Christians. I mean, very well known. And yet, what does he say? He says, I appeal to you as a fellow elder. He places himself in the same category as Brad, Tom, Dave, and Paul. And I love the humility of Peter. He says so, he's the one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. And so throughout this letter, Peter never loses sight of this point. He, he brings it up again and again. We saw it last week, addressed to all believers, rejoice in that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. He keeps coming back to that. Peter already got a glimpse of the Lord's glory. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration? He was one of three disciples that were there with the Lord when God chose to pull back the curtain and let him see the full glory, the full splendor of Jesus. And scripture says this, it says that there he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the, shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. But even that was just a small taste of the glory that is to be revealed when Christ returns. And every believer, everyone, will be caught up with the Lord in the clouds, in the air, it says. And we will share in his glory, we'll bask, we'll behold his glory. If you're a follower of Christ, you're gonna be there with him. You are gonna see his glory. And believe me, when you look down, I think we're going to be looking down, it, the problems of this world will seem so small and so distant, we're going to be in the presence of the Lord. And we're going to be there with the glorified body, a body that can live in the presence of a holy God. It's going to be a glorious moment. And so Peter keeps pointing these suffering Christians back to this again and again and again. The Lord's glory will be revealed. And scripture tells us that we're to encourage one another with these words. We want to be sure we do that. We're looking forward to the glory of the Lord and his return. 
And all of this is just a lead-in to what follows. He says in verse 1, I appeal as a fellow elder, or in the ESV translation, I exhort the elders among you. And then the key point of this whole passage in verse 2, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Be shepherds of God's flock. That's the primary exhortation. Now, notice it doesn't say be generals in God's army or be captains of God's team or be managers of God's workforce or be rulers over God's citizens. He doesn't use any of those analogies. That's not a mistake. Every single word of scripture is inspired. He says, be shepherds of God's flock. That's intentional. God describes his church leaders as shepherds and he describes his people as sheep. And you're gonna find this imagery of shepherds and sheep throughout the Bible. This is not just in 1 Peter. Let me just give you a quick overview. Isaiah 40, verse 11, Old Testament. He, God, tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. And then we know Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, I'll be content. The Lord is my shepherd. David's boasting on that fact. And in John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It's throughout scripture, this idea of shepherds and sheep. Some of the most significant figures in the Bible were shepherds. Abraham was a shepherd. Jacob, also Israel, he was a shepherd. So it was Moses, King David, Amos, and others. Their profession was that of a shepherd, and that's significant. Here's the thing. This is what we got to get a hold of. Sheep wouldn't need a shepherd if it weren't for the nature of sheep. So we're talking about shepherds, but we got to consider also sheep. God wouldn't appoint shepherds if it weren't for the nature of sheep. This is, isn't just true now, but it was true back then, and it's true now. Even with the Holy Spirit and our salvation, we still are like sheep, and we still need shepherds. So I want to look at some of these, these characteristics of sheep. First of all, sheep are defenseless, as we mentioned. Numbers 27 says, Moses said to the Lord, may the Lord, the God of spirits of all mankind, appoint a man over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. Wouldn't be good to be sheep without a shepherd. How did Jesus describe sheep without a shepherd in this passage? He said, harassed and helpless, so they would be, wouldn't be harassed and helpless. You know what I think I cut, sorry, I cut that verse out, but Jesus said that <laughs> sheep without a shepherd, he, he had compassion on them because they were harassed like sheep without a shepherd. They were helpless, so we need shepherds. Sheep are defenseless, they're also gullible and easy, easily led astray. This is kind of part of their herd mentality. They they just kind of go with the flow. Hey, there's some members of the flock moving over there. Let's go that way. Don't matter where it is. Let's just go there. And we see the human equivalent of this in scripture. The people of God can be attracted to a charismatic leader that charms them with promises and with not much consideration, they can follow in that direction. They can follow the pack. In number 16, there were four Israelite men who thought they would rise up against Moses. What they were really doing there in the desert was rising up against God. And they got 250 leaders of the children of Israel to join them. And they rose up against Moses. They rose up against God, and God judged them for it. The earth opened up and swallowed up the four and their families and their belongings. Fire came down from heaven and wiped out the other 250. God judged them. We see in in Mark 15, the chief priests, they stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release the criminal Barabbas. And they got the whole crowd shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And everybody was on board, yeah, crucify him. Let's do this. We're all in it together. Acts chapter 13, the Jewish leaders stirred up the persecution against Paul and Barnabas. Sheep are gullible. 
We gotta realize that, and, and they're easily led astray. And then thirdly, sheep wander off easily and they get lost. Isaiah 53, verse six, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. We do our own thing. Luke 15, uh, Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep. What's, what's the point of all this? God's people are like sheep and sheep need shepherds. He makes that point through scripture again and again. I went looking for information on sheep. I've never raised sheep. I had a friend who owned one when I was a boy, but I looked at a website called farmingbase.com and it had this to say. It said, unattended sheep are usually a sorry sight to see. There are a lot of unfortunate things that could happen to them if the shepherd is not present. And it goes on to explain some of these tendencies of the sheep to wander off, to be attacked, to get lost. And the conclusion was this, leaving them unattended could put them at risk of great danger and and, and can endanger their lives. They're vulnerable. When um, When I drive to my office here, at the church building, I come down Bolcom Road and I come down Crane and it's that beautiful drive. You get to go through the, the woods there on Crane and right before the big corner, there's Primrose Farm on the right-hand side. It's, uh, it's a farm, a, a working farm managed by the St. Charles Park District. And I always look at the animals when I go by. These silly goats will climb up on top of anything. And I'm always kind of laughing at them. Well, it's one morning. It was like a beautiful morning. And I had my windows rolled down. And as I'm driving by, I noticed this sheep right up close to the fence. And as I drove by, I didn't think much more of it. But I hear this pitiful <laughs> like that, like it was pouring out its guts. And, it's, and I'm like, what in the world? So I stopped and I backed up and I pulled over and the sheep had stuck its head through the fence to eat some grass on the other side and it couldn't get its head back out. It was stuck. Now, I wish I could have, I wish I would have captured a picture. I was too concerned about the sheep, but this is pretty much almost exactly what it looked like. This sheep had its head stuck through the fence. And so I got out of the car, and as I walked toward it, it started pulling back and trying to free itself, and there was no way it was going to get loose. And so I just looked at it, what a helpless state you're in. And so. I kind of grabbed him by the scruff of the neck. We had a little heart-to-heart talk there. (laughs) And I started little by little working that wool, that thick wool, back through the wire of the fence. And finally, I got enough of it worked through on both sides that he could pull his head out, and he ran off. He didn't say thanks or anything. He was just gone. He was on to the next thing. That sheep would have died had somebody not have come to its rescue. It was helpless, it was defenseless. An animal would have gotten it that night or it would have died of starvation. And so sheep need shepherds. Well, what's the point of all this? Sheep do what sheep do. (laughs) God describes his people, me included, as sheep. And this is our nature. And so again, because of this, we need shepherds. So I want to look at how to care for these sheep. We're going to look at the nurture of sheep in verses 2 through 4. Now, I want to start by noting three words that are used in these first two verses of our text. You might just underline them. The first word is elders, and it's in verse 1. It says, to the elders among you. And that's the word presbyteros. That's where we get the word presbyter or presbyterian. And it it refers to someone who is mature or older or wiser, the elders. And then the second word, the second word is the word shepherds. It says, be shepherds of God's flock. And that is the word poimael, poimael. And, and that word is where we get the word pastor. It's translated in Ephesians as pastors. And then there's a third word, and the third word is also in verse 2, and it's overseers. And this is the word episcopal. And episcopal, you think of episcopal. That's kind of where that comes from. And that word is often translated bishops. 
So you have these three words in these two verses, elders, shepherds, or maybe your translation says pastors, and overseers or bishops. And it's not describing some kind of leadership hierarchy like the bishops are on top and then you got the elders or the overseers. It's not. All three of these words are describing the same people and the same role. It's just different aspects of the role. Elder describes the maturity. Shepherd or pastor describes the ministry of an elder. And then overseer or bishop describes the responsibility. So all three describe the same role. And we see this very thing again in Acts chapter 20. The apostle Paul, he gathers together the elders of the church in Ephesus. And let me read you what he says to them in verse 20. Eight, he says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He says, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. So the elders are overseers and shepherds, three different aspects of that role. So let's look at some of the characteristics then of godly shepherds. It says in verse two, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. So how does an elder carry out this responsibility to shepherd the flock? What should that look like? Well, above all else, he feeds the flock. In fact, the word shepherd or pastor, the word I mentioned to you, poimaio, poimaio, I think is how it's pronounced, literally means to feed. It says, not shepherd the flock, but you could translate that feed the flock, or some translations will say tend the flock, but the word very clearly means to feed. That's a primary responsibility of an elder, to feed the flock. If we were at that primrose farm, every morning those people have to go out and feed those sheep and feed the goats and the horses. Shepherds have to feed the flock. Look at, uh, remember what Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He takes me to places where I can be fed and nourished, where I can be watered. In other words, a good shepherd provides for the nourishment of the flock. And in the Old Testament, I found this fascinating. God told the prophet Ezekiel to prophesy against the shepherds of, El, of, the, of Israel, the shepherds of Israel. Listen to what he said in, in Ezekiel 34. He said, woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should they not feed the flocks? See, they weren't feeding the flock, the people of God. They were focusing on themselves and feeding themselves. So to feed the flock is a, a primary responsibility. If you're not gonna feed the flock, pretty much nothing else matters because the flock is gonna die out. So it's a, it's a number one priority. You remember Jesus after the resurrection, he was restoring Peter, the author of this letter. And remember what he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. What did Jesus say? Feed my sheep, right? Tend my sheep. That's the same root word as shepherd my sheep. Feed my sheep. So how do you feed the flock? How do we do that as elders? Well, they're fed primarily through the teaching of God's word. That's the primary way. Man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. That's what Jesus said. This word is like nourishment. It's food. And shepherds need to teach that word. A good pastor or elder shepherd is like a spiritual chef preparing meals from the word of God. There's a TV show where like this chef comes over to someone's house and cooks up a meal for them, like a fancy gourmet meal. Well, in a spiritual sense, that's what a pastor or an elder should be doing for the sheep cooking up a, a meal with the word of God. In just two weeks, we're going to celebrate the, the harvest dinner. And we're going to be going to homes. And I like to think of it as a warm-up for Thanksgiving. You can kind of stretch out those <laughs> that stomach a little bit, make room for the, the second go-round, like a week or so later with Thanksgiving. But it takes a lot of time to prepare that meal. 
You got to go get the turkey and maybe thaw it and prepare it. You get the different vegetables, the cranberries, not the kind that looks like the can when you take it out, but like where you actually take the berries and you make cranberry sauce. And then the homemade pies, pecan, pumpkin, whatever your favorite is. It takes time to prepare that. A lot of times people start days before preparing that meal. It only takes us less than an hour to scarf it down, right? It's gone. It's very similar with the Word of God. To prepare a nourishing meal in the Word of God, a spiritual meal, takes time. I, I spent about 25, I haven't done that in a long time, to 35, that's closer to where I am, hours a week preparing the message. I'm not that fast at it. But it's a time of pouring over the word and praying and meditating on the word and asking God to lead me. What would he say to these people? Lord, help, feed the sheep, give me the words. And so preparing a meal, and I personally believe that a proper message in the word of God should be like a well-rounded meal. It should have meat and potatoes that you need for nourishment. It should have some veggies in there. Hopefully, it has some garnishes and it has some dessert that makes it not only nourishing, but like enjoyable, pleasant to take in at the same time. Maybe not, I try. But I feel like it should be that way. And not only that, the flock is a diverse group. You have unbelievers, you have young believers, you have mature believers, and every one of them needs to be fed the word of God. And so a lot of care and thought. You can't just speak to unbelievers and you can't just speak to mature believers. Everyone has a different dietary need. And so preparing the message, preparing to feed the flock takes time. And that's the primary way that a shepherd shepherds the flock is by feeding the flock. But feeding happens in in other formats too. A Sunday message can't possibly address all of the personal needs that people have. I try to make it practical, but you're going to probably come away with a lot of questions. What does this mean when I go back to work tomorrow? How do I live this out in my home or my workplace or my school? What did he mean by that? There's other formats in which the sheep can be fed. And so when you have questions like that, the the message lays the foundation, the structure. It grounds us. But... There's much more work to be done. If you only listen to a 45, we'll call it, minute message on Sunday, you're still going to be hungry. There's other formats in which God wants to feed the sheep. We had the men's gathering with almost 20 men yesterday morning where we're opening up the word and we're interacting over it together. What does this mean in this current climate, political climate, social climate? And we're unpacking that. God places other elders there. You can go to the elders with questions and help me understand. I'm wrestling with this at work or in my family life or in my school life or go to a Bible study leader. And as they counsel you, it should be all centered on the word of God. The word of God should frame our thinking. How does the word of God put this into perspective? What does it say to us? How do we respond to this situation in a godly biblical way? If a counselor gives you anything else, like just worldly wisdom, it's just straw, it's fodder, it's not gonna nourish you. It might fill your gut, but it's not gonna nourish you. We need the word of God, that's a primary way. And so if you're only investing in the time on Sunday morning, you're gonna miss so much because God has provided a whole structure, a whole array of ministry to make sure that our sheep are well-fed and that they're healthy. So, oh yeah, so the word of God, that's the real chicken soup for the soul, if you wanna call it that. That's what's gonna nourish us. So this is also why it's important for one of, the, one of the important qualifications for an elder is that he's able to teach and able to give instruction in sound doctrine. Uh, Titus 1.9 says, an elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to be able to rebuke those who contradict it. 
This is cool. Sound doctrine literally means a healthy, wholesome teaching. Something that's going to nourish and cause people to grow, spiritual growth. Now, this doesn't mean that an elder has to be a Bible scholar, but it means that he has to know the Word of God and he has to be able to handle it and apply it to situations in people's lives. So shepherds must, first of all, feed the sheep, and then secondly, they have to lead the sheep. And we see that in verse 2 where it says, serving as overseers. Overseers look out across the field, across the flock. What are the needs of the sheep? What are the dangers? And they care for the sheep. They protect. Let's go this way instead. Let's do this. That's overseeing. That's leading. Um, Earlier this year, Reuters ran a story. And it it was about a sheep named Barak. And they, the title of it was Barak, or maybe it's Barak. Barak from the brink, they called it. And this is Barak. Look at that. It's almost gruesome looking, this sheep. But a construction worker found the sheep wandering among the Australian bushland. And he knew the sheep was in real trouble because his wool was so overgrown. And so he brought him to an animal sanctuary called Edgar's Mission. And Pam Aaron is the founder of that. And she said, quote, not long after Barack came here, we realized he was in big trouble. He was close to passing away. His wool was such a heavy burden on him, he couldn't see and he was exhausted from years of struggling to find food and water on his own. Sheep need shepherds. They sheared 35 kilograms of wool off of that poor sheep's back. That's over 75 pounds, and it's not a record. There's been sheep that have more. It's not an exaggeration for farmers to say that sheep require constant care and that leaving them unattended can put them at risk and greatly endanger their lives. God knew this when he used the analogy of sheep to describe us as his followers. Now, if believers had everything they need to lead themselves, I got the word, I got the spirit, that's really all I need, then there would be no need for shepherds in the church. And there would be, and if there's no need for shepherds, then God wouldn't continually refer to his people as sheep. We have a tendency to think, I've got this. I've got the word, I got the spirit, which helps me understand it, and it does. But God, one of the ways he leads his flock is through shepherds that he appoints. Now, I'm not saying that elders of the church are smart and everybody else is dumb. I'm not saying that elders are wise and everybody else is foolish. I'm not saying that. I'm also not saying, you know, that you can't do anything on your own. You can, but what I am saying is this, that God desires to lead his people. And one of the important ways he does it is by gifting and calling and empowering a group of shepherds to serve as leaders and overseers. It's, we're not to be a congregational-led church. That's why we're an elder-led church. That's the biblical model. See, in this society and our democracy we want to all have a say we want to all vote you know the foolishness of that it gives every every single person an equal vote regardless of their spiritual maturity regardless of their gifting and that's not how God leads his sheep he calls and appoints shepherds now the elders are sheep just like you but they are called by God to be shepherds. And the ability to do so doesn't come from themselves, it's given to them by God. You know, a person might look at an elder and say, that guy, those guys, that team, they're no smarter than I am. And they might be right, they might be right. They might think, I have more education than every one of them. And again, they might be right. They might say, I'm more successful in running my business than any one of those elders, and they could be right again. But here's the point. That person, unless he's called to be an elder, does not have the wisdom and the enablement, the power to do the job of an elder. 
because that comes from God, and that comes from God when he calls somebody, he gifts them. God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. Look at the disciples, who were they? They were ordinary, unschooled men who'd been with Jesus. He called fishermen, he didn't call scholars. He called fishermen and he said, I'm gonna give you what you need. See, we have this treasure in jars of clay, 2 Corinthians 4, 7, to show that it's all surpassing powers from God, not from us. Clay pot, broken, cracked, cracked pot. (laughs) And we have this treasure in it. It's God that places that treasure in us. And so this is God's method for leading the church. He calls ordinary men and he enables them. He's already gifted them, but he enables them and he empowers them to lead his church. Now we're in the midst of calling some new elders, in fact. We're in the midst of finding who God has called would be more appropriate because we as elders, as existing elders, don't do the calling. God does the calling. We just look for and affirm the call of God. Acts 20 28 that I read earlier, it says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The Holy Spirit chooses the elders, not us, not the existing team of elders if we're doing it God's way. So how do we know if someone's called to be an elder? I mean, it seems kind of mysterious, doesn't it? They're called, what does that look like? It's really simple. We look for the fruit. See, if God has gifted somebody to be a teacher, then those that they teach are gonna grow. There's gonna be fruit, there's gonna be learning there. If God has called someone to be a leader, then those around them are going to be led in a healthy direction. We observe the fruit of those gifts in that person's life. This is why we like to say, we look for men who are already doing the job of an elder. And then we invite them to a process whereby we try to affirm, has God gifted and called this person to shepherd the church? That's how we do it. So, Peter speaks next then of the motivation. Let's go back to verse two. He says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. God gives spiritual gifts to every single believer at the moment of their salvation, but they have to be willing to use them. A person might not use the gifts God's given them. They could be like that parable of the talents. Remember that? God gave, he entrusted to each man a different amount of money and they invested and did these different things. But one man took it and dug a hole in the backyard and buried it and stuck it in the ground. It didn't earn any interest. It didn't bear any fruit. And God scolded that man. Well, in the same way, you could be a gifted teacher and leader, but if you're not using that gift, If you go and bury it in a hole in the backyard, how are we gonna know? We're not gonna go in your backyard with ground-penetrating radar and go look for your gift and, oh, you're a good teacher. You're, You're gifted to be an elder. No, we need to see that gift in operation. We need to see the fruit of that. And so we have, we're to steward the gifts that God has given us. So an elder and all people, for that matter, have to be willing to use the gifts that God has given them. It says, because you are willing. So, a shepherd also cannot be greedy for money. And I like the way, I came across the way the uh, King James Version translates this. Not for filthy lucre. (laughs) I didn't even know that was the word, lucre. (laughs) An elder can't be for filthy lucre. (laughs) Just really, it's sordid gain. It's money that is like, uh, obtained in a, in a sordid way. No filthy lucre. But the truth is there's not a lot of lucre in ministry anyway. <laughs> there really isn't. And so when it talks about not greedy for money, I don't think that's because people are drawn to ministry because of all the money. I think they're kept from ministry because of money. See, ministry requires sacrifice. A man who is willing to serve as an elder and shepherd the flock of God is probably not gonna 
be as successful as his business at his business as he might otherwise be if he had another 10 or 15 hours of work to put into it. He won't be able to do as much. He won't be able to manage other things in his life as well. It's a sacrifice, and, and that can come sometimes with a bit of a financial penalty. Be hard. It's hard for business owners to serve as an elder, but we have one. And I praise God for that, that that business is put in the right perspective. I'm, I'm going to limit my time there, and I'm going to serve the flock of God. And you know what? There's a much greater payout for that. There's an eternal reward. It's better than a 401k or an IRA. God says you're storing up treasures in heaven. And so the greed and the love of money that's talked about, I think more times than not, it's an unwillingness to let those things go, to let the pursuit of those things go long enough to serve you're probably not going to be as successful in your career. Now, there's another dynamic at play. God says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he'll take care of all these other things. I experienced that in my business life. It was an incredibly busy time, most of my years in, in a corporate world, but I cut it off. I said, no, this is the time I'm carving out for God, and it's like a tithe of my time. I'm going to give my time to the Lord. And you know what happened? God blessed me in my business career in ways that blew my mind because I was seeking him first. But we have to, that's not a guarantee, but we have to be willing to sacrifice. And so an elder cannot be greedy or, or, or have a love of money. So then third, it says here, verse three, not lording over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So to lord over someone means act like you're more important than them as you exercise your authority. You look down at them, you lord it over them. In Matthew 20, there's this power struggle going on between the disciples. And a couple of them wanted greater recognition in the kingdom of heaven. And so Matthew 20 and verse 25, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That kind of ended the power struggle right there. A leader of God's people is not to lord it over them. God appoints shepherds, not executives, not generals. Some people want to be seen as leaders. They're looking for recognition. They're looking for power. They're looking for prestige. And it's actually a, a sign of pride. And when we see that, it's a warning sign. That person is not called to be an elder. I heard about a a major who was assigned a new office on a military base. And he was still setting up his office environment when a private came and knocked on the door. And as he looked over at the private, he picked up the phone and he waved him in, the private in, and and in the door. And and on the phone, he he said, yes, General Schwarzkopf, I think that's an excellent idea. Uh, No, sir, that's fine. You feel free to call me anytime. I'm glad I can help. Yes, sir. I'll give you my best, or give my best to your family as well. Thank you, sir. And, and, And you too. Have a good day, General Schwarzkopf. And he hangs up the phone. And then he looks and he goes, now, uh, private, what can I do for you? And the private looked at him kind of sheepishly and mumbled, "Uh, well, sir, I'm uh, here to hook up your phone. It wasn't hooked up. It was posturing. It was a power play. He wanted to show his authority. That's lording it over people. And God says there is no place for that in shepherding the flock of God. See, sheep aren't like other livestock. You can't drive them very effectively. You have to lead them. And, and, and here it says that you're to lead them by example. So, we see this in verse 3. And, and that's what Jesus did. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. He was an example. He got down. 
He washed the disciples' feet. He led by example and he led sacrificially. John Maxwell, I like John Maxwell, he said it this way, a leader is one who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. That's really simple and to the point. A leader knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. He leads by example. And then comes finally the right motivation in verse four. It says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade. Now, what a beautiful name that is for Jesus, the chief shepherd. I like that. See, as elders, as shepherds of the flock, we're just under shepherds, serving under the chief shepherd. He's using us and working through us, but he's the chief shepherd. And we see in this verse the right motivation. There's a reward that awaits when Jesus Christ is revealed. Pastors and elders, along with all believers, will one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. It's like an Olympic ceremony where God will hand out rewards, crowns they're called for for what somebody has or hasn't done in their life. And so the highest motivation for an elder or for any other believer has to be to please the Lord to please the Lord. I'm doing this with all my heart as working unto God and not unto man, to please the Lord. We wanna hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's our highest motivation. And as a result, when you serve other people, you're serving the Lord and you're storing up treasures in heaven. You receive a crown that will never fade. There's no better investment in all the earth than the time you invest in kingdom work. So let me read you a little excerpt from our Riverside website. When you go into the About Us tab, there's a thing on the deacons, the elders, the pastors, and it says this under the elders. It says, Jesus Christ is the head of the church, but the scripture also makes it clear that a local church is led by a group of individuals called elders who are gifted and called by him to serve. The guiding principle of leadership for the church is servant leadership. Church members are to honor, support, and pray for their spiritual leaders. That really well encapsulates what this passage is saying about shepherds. And I just have to say what an honor and privilege it is to serve alongside our team of elders. They are godly men who love the Lord and they love each other and they love you guys. They love the church of God, they love the flock. Are they perfect men? No, and I'm not either, but they're humble men. There's no posturing or power plays going on in our elder team. There's no hidden agendas. These men have one desire, and that is to serve the Lord faithfully, to understand what does he want, and to walk in it. Again, do we do that perfectly? No. But that's our goal. That's our highest priority, is to serve the Lord faithfully. Now, Walt used to always say that this team, this is not normal. He said, but it's rare and it's beautiful the way this team functions. And that's pretty much been a hallmark of our elder team for as long as I've been part of it, I think uh, 12 or 13 years now. And it's a beautiful thing. And Lord willing, we're gonna add some more men to that team. We're looking forward to bringing Dan on as our pastor of family ministries and as an elder. We're in the process of evaluating and praying over, is God calling Jim Allen? to serve as an elder is God calling other men in the church. And we've come out, come to you and said, give give us your feedback on Jim. What do you see in his life? Do you see the fruit that's consistent with the gifting of an elder? And we're welcoming and awaiting more of your feedback. And so this is how This is how God leads his church. I've said it before too that our goal is not to have the biggest flock. Our goal is to have the healthiest, most well-fed, most loved and cared for flock of God. That's our goal at Riverside Community Church. We'll leave leave the numbers in God's hands. That's that's his job. We wanna shepherd the, the flock of God well. So there's a responsibility though in scripture not only for the shepherds but also for the sheep. Let me just read you Hebrews 13, 17. It says, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. 
We saw that earlier in 1 Peter, submitting to the authority of the elders. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, sheep have to push back on their tendency to want to wander, on their tendency to stray and to be stubborn. Sheep have to submit to the authority that God's put in place over them. And I know it can be hard to do, especially in a democratic society, especially in our day and age when we have such failings of leadership on such a huge scale going on in the church at large. Look at Harvest Bible Church or Mars Hill or Willow Creek, just to name a few. Huge failings in the leadership. Do you ever wonder why would God allow that to happen so visibly, so publicly on such a big scale? I've wondered about that and I think it's this, to serve as a warning to the rest of us. To serve as a warning. Those men made some missteps and there's a lot of, there's podcasts, there's books out there on what they did wrong so that it can be a warning to us. Now if that would have happened at like, I don't know, Boondock Baptist Church, none of us would have heard about it, right? It happened on a big scale, and we saw, and it was a warning to us. So, here's one final thought that I want to leave you with. God, you, as, as God's people, as sheep, need to be careful to not allow the failings, the failures of leaders to become an excuse for self-reliance for wandering away from God's structure for leadership. Sheep are sheep, they do what sheep do. They need shepherds, shepherds are not perfect but they report to God and he calls and gifts and empowers them to lead the sheep. That's the resource that God has put in place for you. So when you have a question, when you have a problem, when you have an issue, Go to the elders of the church and let them walk through that with you. You're not gonna be like, it's not gonna be like going before a congressional committee. We'll probably take one of the elders and sit down with you and talk with you, your family, and work through that issue together. Let, avail yourself to the wisdom, to the direction. Again, the elders are nothing special, but God says these are the people through which I'm gonna deliver my wisdom to the sheep. Why not go there? And, and benefit from the, the leadership that God puts in place. We see throughout the Bible, God's people are like sheep, and sheep need godly shepherds. Uh, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you're so clear that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each and every single one of us has turned to his own way. And Lord, you saw our waywardness, and in your infinite love and mercy, you sent your Son you sent him to your flock and he became a sheep like us and he was led to like a lamb to the slaughter and yet by his stripes we're healed. And so I thank you for your forgiveness, your redemption, your healing that comes through Jesus Christ. And Lord, I thank you that you desire to lead us, that you don't just put us out there on our own you don't want us on our own, God. You want us in a flock. You want us under the leadership of shepherds. And so I pray that you'd help the elders of Riverside to be good shepherds under the leadership of, of the great shepherd. And I pray that you'd help all of us to be good followers, God, following the leaders that you put in place as they follow you. And so God, we ask this for your kingdom and your glory, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.